Wow, is this a throwback service or what? Uh, I even wore the throwback uniform, as you, as you see. I want to, uh, speaking on behalf of the um, boomers, I want to uh, thank the millennials and the Gen Zs for allowing us to have this kind of service. It's truly a, a mark of uh, your love and grace and uh, deserves a reward. Thank you. Would you open your Bible and turn to um, John 3 and follow along as I read. <clears throat> now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Please pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we can never thank you enough for the scriptures. When we leave here today, grant that the Holy Spirit will keep your words foremost in our mind. Give us the strength to remember them and live by them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When first I learned that I was going to be standing in front of you today, I contacted Adam to ask what he would be preaching in March. When he told me that his text would be from the lectionary, my anxiety started to build. It's not that I can't learn from the text, it's just that many times I can't see how the 
uh, how the selections from the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles fit together. So when I read the text for today, I was relieved. I was relieved to see a common thread. Maybe we should sing the doxology again. So, that, so what is the common thread in the tapestry of these texts? Believe. We, we use the word in many different contexts and many different ways. Sometimes we use it as something less than fact. As when Joy asked me how dirt got into the laundry room again. I reply, I believe I tracked it in. We also use it as a casual commitment to an idea, as when adults clap their hands to show their belief in Tinkerbell. No, I'm not talking about uncertainty. I'm not talking about triviality. Instead, our text for today use the word to describe a total commitment, an obedience, a faith, a confidence, an expectation directed towards something or someone. At the church of my youth in Rexmont, we had from time to time people give their testimony. What they did was stand up and present a personal narrative for the group's edification. We never knew when this was going to happen. There was no designated time in the service. Testimonies just happened. Curiously, the speakers never interrupted the sermon. Testimonies were offered between hymns, just before or after prayer, or right before the benediction. The speakers would detail their pathway to conversion. They would talk about entertaining angels. They would recite a Bible verse. Now, I've told my kids frequently that it's a dangerous thing to give a microphone to someone from Spring Creek, just as is happening right now. The same was true at Rexmont. Actually, we didn't have mics or need them because the sanctuary held only 10 double rows of pews. Anyway, there were some pretty shocking things that came to light through testimonies, not the least of which was the providence of God in the life of someone we actually knew. What I want to do this morning is to take you through the testimonies of the three men in today's text, Abraham, Nicodemus, and Paul. Pay careful attention to their pathways to belief. Heed the warning of their stumbles and be challenged by the actions that sprang from their belief. First, we look at Abraham. It seems that he always believed God. 
that there was not a time when he did not believe. We know people like that. There was never a point in time when he went from unbelief to believe. There was no question that he believed God. Paul quotes Genesis 15 in today's text. Abram, as he was named then, believed the Lord. This was all the more remarkable when considering that Terah, his father, worshipped other gods, according to Joshua. Abraham believed while still in Ur, before he even got to Haran. His belief was strong and long. Still, despite the, long, the lifelong belief, like many, like me, Abraham had his share of lapses. One that immediately comes to mind is the time that he lied to Pharaoh about Sarah. The short version of the story is found in Genesis 12 and says that Abraham and Sarah needed to go to Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan. Sarah must have been so beautiful that Abraham was afraid that powerful men would kill him to take Sarah. So he convinced her to pretend that she was his sister. In truth, she was a half-sister. But Abraham left out the part that she was his whole wife. Pharaoh took her into court, lavished gifts on Abraham, then suffered under God's judgment until the truth was revealed. It's important to note that Abraham did the same thing while living in Gerar this time afraid of Abimelech. Again, God intervened, telling Abimelech in a dream that he's a dead man walking until he returns Sarah to Abraham. But let's not dwell on Abraham's lapses. Instead, let's turn to the consequences of his belief. In Abraham's case, as it should be with all of us, belief in God was not the end of the journey. No, instead, it was the start of the trip, both figuratively and literally. As Stephen put it in his last sermon, so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. As today's text put it, Abraham left his country, his people, and his family to go to a land that he had never seen a land that eventually would become his descendants' inheritance even today. For our next testimony, we have Nicodemus. He came as a Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, Israel's teacher, to visit Jesus. I suspect that when his visit was over, he felt less like a teacher and more like a schoolboy. I don't know this for sure, but it seems to me that Nicodemus was well on his way to belief in Jesus when he set out for the meeting. He greeted him as teacher, not just any teacher, but a teacher who has come from God. There's already the foundation of belief in his words. And later in John's gospel, Nicodemus is already numbered among the believers. But Nicodemus was struggling and Jesus picked up on it right away. 
Nicodemus was wrestling with his own pride and sense of self-importance. Look at the evidence for this. He came to see Jesus at night. I'm sure he was overbooked for the day. As far as we know, no one else was around. I wonder if that was by accident. I really like Nicodemus. I think we have a lot in common. His shoes feel very comfortable to me. Then Jesus said, suddenly and out of nowhere, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Perhaps Jesus saw into Nicodemus' heart that he came to wrestle with Jesus, to debate with Jesus, to challenge Jesus' philosophy. So Jesus cut out all the crap and went straight to the heart of the matter. For years, I've misinterpreted Nicodemus' reply. He really wasn't being concrete. He wasn't implying that there was some sort of alternative reproduction. Nicodemus wasn't stupid, and he had too much respect for Jesus to be flippant. No, I wonder if Nicodemus was employing a method of debate called reductio ad absurdum. He would have been familiar with it. The concept is that if one follows a premise to its logical impossibility, then the premise is incorrect. He was trying to get Jesus to back down from his statement about how to get to see the kingdom of God. Then Jesus goes into theological overdrive and outstrips Nicodemus, me, perhaps all of us. I don't know what verse 8 means. I've read commentaries on verse 8, and it's pretty clear that others don't know what it means either. John Calvin, a much smarter man than I am, said it best. We always wish to be wise beyond what is proper. And we reject anything that is not explained to our reason, as if it were proper to limit the infinite power of God to our poor capacity. This is a perfect example. Jesus exposed Nicodemus' pride by showing him me us, our poor capacity. Obviously, Nicodemus took all this in, for his belief spurred him on to action. When Jesus was in Jerusalem for Sukkot, the Pharisees wanted to punish him. Nicodemus advocated for him, saying, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? This exposed Jesus I'm sorry, this exposed Nicodemus to the ultimate insult. Are you from Perry County too? No, 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 that's not right. It was, it was Galilee, not Perry County. It was Galilee. Are you from Galilee too? And even later, after the crucifixion, 
Nicodemus laid it out on the, in, laid it all out in the open by helping Joseph of Arimathea, another closet believer, wrap Jesus' body in spices and linen and bury him in a tomb. These were actions from belief. The third and final testimony is Paul's. He had a flair for drama, and his conversion to belief in Jesus was nothing but dramatic. Acts 9 describes the moment. Paul was on a mission trip to Damascus to imprison Jesus' disciples. Around noonday, he was struck by a light. Now, how bright does a light have to be at noonday to show up? And Jesus' and Jesus' voice. Paul immediately acknowledged Jesus as Lord, was blind for the next three days, then was healed and baptized at Ananias' house. The story's familiar to us. The story still is dramatic to us. But even Paul had his lapses after his belief. Now, I'm not willing to debate whether Paul erred in circumcising Timothy or in getting into a sharp disagreement with and separation from Barnabas over John Mark. I'll let that to the professional theologians. All that I'll do about those issues is quote John Calvin again. We may learn to moderate our desire even in the best causes, lest it pass measure and be too fervent. Instead of debating, I'll use Paul's own words of testimony from Romans. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Paul had lapses, just as did Abraham and Nicodemus. No one is immune. I said earlier that Paul had a flair for the dramatic. Listen to how he lived after his conversion. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. All these were consequences of a belief that started on the road outside of Damascus. So what can we take from these testimonies? First, let me speak to the unbelievers. God is calling you to believe in Jesus. Belief in his place in the Trinity and his work intended to save you. I don't know how he is calling you, but I know that he is. He could be calling you from your early days in an unbelieving family. 
Joshua wrote that Abraham was called from a family that worshipped other gods. He could be calling you as you dig in your skeptical heels as Nicodemus did, or in some dramatic event such as the death of a loved one or a serious illness. By the way, Paul had many of the symptoms we can see in shingles, but that's a conversation for another time. He may even be calling you this morning with these words. As Isaiah put it, you need to see with your eyes, hear with your ears, understand with your heart, and turn and be healed. Also, I have some advice for you. Don't play games with Jesus because you'll lose. I'm sure you're no match for Jesus, just as Nicodemus couldn't win a debate with Jesus on philosophy. There are plenty of other examples of people who attempted to match wits with Jesus. Last week, we heard of the woman at the well who wanted to argue about religion until Jesus pointed out her need for a savior. Consider the rich young ruler who wanted to earn his way into the kingdom until Jesus revealed his love for money. The expert on Torah who wanted Jesus to define what neighbor is. Or the Pharisees' disciples who tried to paint Jesus into a corner on taxation. You see, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Your time is limited. Don't waste it playing games that you will surely lose. Now, to my fellow believers, be on your guard. Peter put it very well. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I say with shame and embarrassment that I can attest to foolishly choosing bypath meadow to lapses. No, let's call them what they are, sins, long after my belief was sure. If Abraham, Nicodemus, and Paul had them, what makes you certain that you will not have any? But take heart. When you have lapsed, and you will, know that God's grace covers all of our sins. Paul wrote in Romans, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And finally, fellow believers, know that belief is not the end of the story. We should be challenged and inspired by Abraham, Nicodemus, and Paul, whose belief led to action, to doing something. I don't know what God has in mind for you. Fortunately, he doesn't run his plans by me for approval but there's something for you to do. 
It may be speaking up for what is right, even if it exposes you to insult. It may be an act of humble service. And you never know when your opportunity will, will come. Remember this. Paul left on his first missionary journey 14 years after his conversion. It takes watchful waiting. We wait in hope for the Lord. But be clear, you will be given something to do as a consequence of your belief. Until that day comes, let this be the foundation of your own testimony. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for listening and not interrupting me with your testimony. (laughs) After the service, I will be at the front of the sanctuary An opportunity, no, your responsibility to give me hard questions, correction, and training in righteousness. Please rise and sing with me, Because He Lives, number 358 in the Brown Hymnal.